0: What's up?
1: Welcome to the Entangled Podcast. My name is Ashley. I'm
2: Taylor.
0: And I'm Henry. We are three educators from Teach for America that get together on this podcast to talk about education in Louisiana and all the subjects entangled within it. See what I did there?
1: In each episode, we unpack the latest news of Louisiana's State of Education, discuss the hottest topics in the field, and make sense of it
2: all with a touch of humor. Thank you for tuning into this episode, and we hope you enjoy the show.
1: (laughs) Well, hello, hello, y'all. How y'all feeling today? It is hump day. It's hump day. It is. is. I'm feeling
0: good. We're good.
1: good. We're good. I am excited. Um, we have our second guest of the season on air with us today. Um, we're recording on a Wednesday, so we have Miss Stevie. Um, and Miss Stevie, can you go ahead and introduce yourself, please?
3: Yes. Hello, I'm Stevie Jasuda. I am. This is my tenth year in education. I'm currently holding the role, it's a very long-winded role of Dean of Literacy and MTSS coordinator for second through fourth grades. See, it just keeps going on and on. Wow. Mm -hmm. At Kip Morial Primary. Uh, I've been with Kip Morial for eight years now. I did the core in Atlanta in 2012. And yeah, I'm excited to be on today. Thank you for having me. I'm Um, excited to have you.
0: Yes, so excited. Stevie, I gotta ask, what 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 do those acronyms stand for? The MTCC.
3: Oh yeah, MTSS. So multi-tiered student support.
0: Got so it.
3: I specifically, um, you know, most schools do have an MTSS coordinator that helps with another acronym, RTI, the response to intervention um, systems. So that is that is one of my work streams at school. Lovely. Nice. That sounds like a lot.
0: Uh,
3: (laughs) but it's great it's good I mean if you think about it being over literacy and working with interventions and this thinking about the supports that our students need they really do go hand in hand Mm -hmm. that's not Mm -hmm. to say math isn't a huge part of it it is but if we think about where most of our students are literacy is where we often get stumped yeah. And I can go get right into it. <laughs> yeah,
0: right? We will, we will. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. But, I'm ready. but so, first.
3: But
2: first, we are going to talk about some stuff that's been going down in the state. So I have a couple of news articles to share with y'all. Uh, the first one, as of October 25th, the LDOE launches the Be Engaged Initiative. So the Louisiana Department of Education announced that they're gonna launch this Be Engaged initiative to focus on encouraging parents and families and communities to work together to transform student outcomes. So as I'm reading through the news release is basically going to be an app where parents and caregivers and guardians can earn points um, by simply engaging with their child's education, And they also will get notifications about what their schools are doing and what's going on in the district so they can be more hands on, which I appreciate because it is very important for families and caregivers and parents to be involved in their kids' school experience because they are the experts. What do you think about that? That's really cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. I I was trying to see if maybe if I can skim through it really quick to see what the ultimate reward is. Like if you get X amount of points, like do they, do they mention that? Did you see that anywhere?
2: Um, I don't think so, but I'm sure like as the initiative rolls out and is executed, they'll probably start coming up with some things for families and maybe it depends on each individual school. Mm, um because I know at my school when we would have parent nights we would do a raffle for parents like if you come to a math night or a literacy night your name will be in the hat to win like a $25 Walmart gift card and you know folks love a gift card so so maybe (laughs) it will depend on the the school of like what they want to provide for families I love it
1: yeah okay okay all right. It's giving me adult parent class dojo vibes, you know? Yes. I can I can, I can get with it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Dojo, dojo points for families. Okay. Yeah. Um also the LDOE is allocating 5.4 million dollars in accelerating schools funding, so they announced on the 21st of October that um, they're going to provide funding to various schools throughout the state for an initiative that is focused on accelerating schools, which is going to distribute an additional 50 to 100 thousand dollars to elementary and secondary school emergency release funds that is experienced a great decrease in student mastery of performance from 2019 to 2021. So this one wasn't, it didn't have like much information, but they will be focusing on attendance and well-being, academic recovery and acceleration and professional learning. So we know 2019, 2021, it was rough. <laughs> it was a rough year for students and teachers. And so it sounds like in addition to the COVID money that schools and districts got last year, they will be getting additional funding to support their schools and their students.
0: The, I mean, those, those have been the two years, especially in Louisiana, right? That we've experienced a lot of disruption, right? A lot of disruption in, in schools. So makes sense.
2: Yeah, yeah. So hopefully this money can be used appropriately so that teachers can get additional training and so that they can figure out like how to get kids into school buildings and like to show up every day. Um, and how to accelerate their learning so that they can be successful as they move on to the next grade. Here's a five, Can I
0: ask a hypothetical here? Uh-huh. Um, like if a school is getting, I don't know, an additional 50 to $100,000, mm-hmm. do you all think that it's smarter to use that money by giving it straight to the teachers and their paycheck, like just pay you more or to spend it on professional development?
2: Well, according to this news release, (laughs) (laughs) that ain't what this is for. (laughs) This is not a bonus um, funding. This is purely for for professional learning. So I guess it would depend. And one thing about the state, they're going to put stipulations on how that money Mm -hmm. is spent. Because you can't just be out here principals buying Range Rovers and whatnot with the money.
0: I'm just saying yeah no no no, I hear you it's true (laughs) I hear you I hear you so Um, yeah I was just trying to think as a school leader you know if I got you know like just extra funding like okay how do I how do I spend these additional funds if I already Mm -hmm. had a budget for my school where where can I stretch out my dollar most because I can tell you this like most most teachers if not all teachers probably feel like they're not getting paid enough I agree
3: as a literacy leader I can tell you that I'm like oh, all of these PDs I want to go to, I can now attend. But the similarly, if I put my school leader hat on, then I am now thinking, that's great. Now you can attend the PD, but who's going to teach your class? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So that's definitely a tension I would feel with yeah. this funding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: And that's the tough part about professional development for teachers. Like, there's never enough time in the day, it feels like, to learn and do the things that need to be done. And I think an easy way to combat that is to bring the people to the school. Like instead of going out of town to go to a PD, Mm -hmm. maybe it's like snippets of PD that get offered like at the end of the school day. Unfortunately, that means that people have to stay at school for (laughs) a they would like but let's be real teachers stay at the school part far longer than they should be anyway Mm -hmm. so i i do agree with you stevie i'm sure which actually what you just said brings me into the next point um in the next article so okay segue guess providing segue (laughs) it brings me to a news article about the teacher shortage Mm. because because substitutes are essentially non-existent and Uh. there's a shortage of substitutes and overall there's a shortage of teachers. So according to uh, a news article from WAFB 9, um, fewer people are pursuing careers in education and obviously it does not help Louisiana's um, teacher shortage. So I'm going to read a little bit from this. LSU professors say hypothetically they can turn out 100 quality teachers but at the end of the day, the state needs 1,000. <gasps> so LSU, which is probably the largest producer, one of the largest producers of educators in our state, is only turning out 100 teachers. And we need, we need way more. Here's a quote from Richard Baker, who is the associate director for the School of Education at LSU. Parents used to be the number one people that were deterring young people from becoming teachers now it's teachers and it's hard it's a hard thing for us to work with so before parents would be like yeah no you don't want to do that you ain't gonna get paid enough they're gonna stress you out they're Mm -hmm. gonna work your nerves don't do it but now it's other teachers saying girl don't don't do it it ain't worth it it. save your nerves go do something else yeah and so that is not the whole reason why we have a teacher shortage
0: yeah
2: and that's one of the contributing factors They did say the biggest concerns were salary and working conditions. Mm -hmm.
1: When I think about what prepares folks to be teachers, like the holistic view of being a teacher, I'm not sure I have even heard of or experienced a program being able to do all of them at the same time to the caliber where like when you go in your classroom on the first day, you feel prepared. Like you're going to be successful, that you're going to be able to take care of yourself, your kids, your classroom, all of that. And so I just think like, and I mean, I hate to say this, but, you know, overhaul, like pay people that I feel like if you pay folks an equitable rate, pay wage, they're more likely to, to want to engage and be a part of the profession. I mean, yeah, so I appreciate this article because it's the truth.
3: The New York times called it the great resignation that the pandemic has had folks in many professions, reconsidering how much is yep. the work worth it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was a little naive in thinking it's not going to be us. It's not going to be us. It's not going to be us. Like at the end of the day, cause truly what the pandemic did also teach me as an educator is that the teaching profession isn't going anywhere. Like I worst case scenario, I will always have teaching to fall back on. And so that, that is the beauty here. That's a little bit of the silver lining. As we saw jobs start to get cut and furloughs that I was sitting here counting all of my blessings saying, and at the end of the day, I can go back into the classroom and rock out But what this year has taught me now that we're two years into this pandemic is, I guess, again, the optimistic way I've been pitching this to both myself and to educate other teachers um, as somebody who is responsible for holding on to teacher really great teacher talent is that I have to believe that we are on the verge of something revolutionary in education. Mm -hmm. And my hope is that It means increased salaries, increased respect, increased capacity for teachers, whether it be smaller class sizes, more manageable work hours, more manageable Mm -hmm. workloads. I have to believe we're on the brink of that. Otherwise, my hope turns into fear. And my fear is that we were looking at class sizes of 40 and 50 and 60 because my school is, is no longer safe from that great resignation. We are losing teachers by the month, by the week. And the reality is that you know, every time I think I'm done onboarding someone, all of a sudden I, I'm now co-teaching yet again, because you need to internalize this curriculum and you mm-hmm. need to see how this type of lesson needs to flow. And it, it, it's, that's my current frustration is that it just feels like a never ending cycle. Deal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah.
2: <clears throat> I'm sure it is exhausting for everyone involved. And I think I agree with you, Stevie. It is time for us to really reconsider, like how to bring the humanity into teaching. We talk about it all the time. It's like there needs these, these are people. These are people who are coming in every day to teach somebody else's children, other people's children, and they deserve respect and grace and and their money. So, in the words of Miss Ashley Dor- Jordan, print some more money. <laughs> 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 to pay these people.
0: It's a classic. It's yes, a classic. It's, a classic. <laughs> <laughs> it's our
2: mantra at this point.
0: <laughs> yeah. Taylor, thank you for the our our current event segments. Beautifully executed. Stevie, I love that you chimed in. I want to talk more about the not just the work that you do, but really like how you got into this kind of work in the first place. And then from there, we'll we'll start riding the train. How does that sound?
3: Great. Can't wait. So, okay, mini biography time. I went to Syracuse University. I look really great in orange. (laughs) I was pursuing I pursued I did. I completed a dual degree in art history and public relations. I had no interest. And to this day, I still don't really, I'm not interested in public relations as its own field, Mm -hmm. um, but could get behind it from a nonprofit standpoint. I was like, okay, this is where I could live if I ever entered the PR world explicitly. So was connected to an internship with Teach for America at Institute. I was Mm -hmm. one of the uh, operations coordinators who was running cop- running the copy center, <laughs> making sure the buses were on time. I had I, I had a role with Institute that summer that was kind of like a flex role, so my hands were in lots of different. I wasn't just assigned to buses, so sometimes I woke up at four in the morning to help with buses, but sometimes I didn't have to report until two in the afternoon when the mm-hmm. buses rolled in. It was a it was a very interesting role, um, and it was definitely my first experience being in a pseudo, cause it's not quite management that you're doing, but you are doing a lot of people yeah. moving customer service point of view and finished the summer going, I don't know what that was, but I want to do that. <laughs> Just being around so many people who are so passionate and so excited about one thing i was like this is infectious sign me up and so went into my senior year knowing that i was applying to teach for america i said this is what i will be doing yep. and applied first deadline and continued to go through the interview process and was like oh maybe maybe i don't know what i'm signing up for <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: And like
3: 5 years later still kind of was like what did i sign up for <laughs> um but was, I mean, was so excited. So I wasn't at the Atlanta Institute that internship year. And then the next year was at the Atlanta Institute for my own core year, which was very exciting in 2012. Nice. Uh, so I en- ended up at a charter school in Atlanta. It was a founding school. He hired eight of us. So eight of the 22 elementary school. Wow. Teachers. Yeah. And you know, it was kind of, you know, we were just helping each other along, we weren't really sure, and none of us were really sure what we were doing. But we also had the help of some amazing veteran teachers mm-hmm. who were there founding the school as well. I loved that charter school. It has a lot of my blood, sweat, and tears in it. And at the end of my second year, I knew that while fa- founding a school, finding a school, founding a school was mm-hmm. yeah. a really, really special endeavor. It takes a lot of work. It's and hard. as, Woo! Yeah, as <laughs> yes, a new teacher, is. I still had a lot of learning that I had to do. And that, that wasn't necessarily the priority at our school at the time, which makes sense. F- fi- founding a school requires a lot of other things that principals have to focus on, school mm-hmm. leaders, teachers. I needed to be at a school that would prioritize my de- development. <laughs> and when Atlanta and New Orleans came to me and said, hey, third grade reading teacher that's going to be your role new orleans said we have a reallocation fee or relocation fee so that you can move here and break even i called my best friend from los angeles um i grew up in los angeles and she said you don't have a kid you don't pay a mortgage go to new orleans if you don't like it go back to atlanta yep. and for 5 years in new orleans i would finish the year and i would say thank you so much i had a great time i'm headed back to atlanta and mm-hmm. every year mm-hmm my principal would say, are you, are you really though? And every year I stayed. (laughs) Now the caveat was that I spent my summers in Atlanta because I never missed an institute from there on out. Mm. So I worked with Teach for America for eight or nine years. Um, I was a SOM, I was a CMA, I was a school leader. The one role I never got into was like CS or LS, curriculum yeah. specialist or, or literacy specialist. That was like kind of the route I was headed. And then um, I realized how much I actually love the operation side of running a school. So that kind of led me back into the school director role. Um, and so that's how Henry and I met, was at one of the many institutes that I attended. I'm sure, you know, there's still lots of core members around the city that I'm like, huh. You know how you like recognize yep. someone? And I'm like, oh yes. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. yep. But I also have run so many institutes yep. at this point that I yep. know I know you from institute. But come yep. on, name, come on, name. Yep. You <laughs> have
2: to do a high-pitched high
3: yeah. pitched
2: hi. Uh-huh. 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 And uh-huh. hope it comes to you in a. It's
3: been so long. How are you? How are, are you, friends? <laughs> and like try to get that yeah. hint Where are you again? Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah, Yep. yep. yep
3: but I got into specifically my current role. So that is all to say, I got into my current role because I had a, I can't remember if she was my, my curriculum specialist at the time, or if she was a CMA that I worked closely with, but it was in a professional development with Teach for America that a coach said to me, I just love reading about kids learning how to read. And I thought, that is such a cool thing to be passionate about. And so I immediately went to her and I said, okay, tell me where to start. And she sent me some books that I should start reading. She sent me down a couple PD uh, pathways that I could explore on my own and at my own pace. And it took me a couple of years to like start to build that passion myself. And while I moved to Kip New Orleans and was in a third grade reading role, I realized how much more complex reading is than just the curriculum that was in front of me Mm -hmm. and what teaching literacy actually entails and how there is a science to it and how, uh, at least in, in my experience at my school, a lot of teachers do shy away from really embracing teaching reading outside of the curriculum in front of us because It's not as cut and dry as, say, math or science or social studies. There's a lot of nuance that's required in it. And without knowing the exact parts and truly the science of reading, then we can demystify what it takes to be a good reader. And so to take that mystification out of it and to truly think about, okay, but what do kids need? What do the children in front of me actually need? And to teach based off the people in front of us, rather than the book that's in front of us. That was how I said, okay, so literacy is my thing. Now we're going to be doing it a little differently. Yes. It's going to require a lot of teacher knowledge, but we can build that knowledge together because I also want to reiterate, well, I am the Dean of literacy by no means do I have all the answers to what it, when it comes to reading. I, but I love being on that journey with teachers and with kids and through a series of different events, I actually didn't think school, I still actually will say school leadership is not in my cards. I am not interested in being a school leader. I think that our school should be led by the folks from the community. I'm happy to play a role in, um, supporting school leaders. I'm happy to play a role in supporting teachers. And honestly, every time we do lose, lose a teacher while it's heartbreaking, I keep putting my hat in the ring and I say, put me back in. I'm ready to go back <laughs> Let me be from the babes.
0: You touched on uh, discussing the science of reading and, and reading strategies it, like, that are just outside of the curriculum that you have in front of you. So maybe can we talk about that, about like what is, what is that science of reading and what is it that it takes for an educator to be able to implement these strategies to improve literacy skills for our students?
3: Yes. So I do think it's funny because the science of reading has become one of our newest buzzwords in education, in my opinion, where we hear a lot of like, okay, the science of reading. Okay. But what does that mean? What does that actually mean? So there is an actual formula that, uh, can be presented and has been tested truly since as early as the 1920s, this formula has existed. It's not new. It's just coming back to the surface. Everything in education is a cycle This formula says that language comprehension times word decoding equals reading comprehension. So the way that we understand language in conversation, in text, on social media, in a book, through one-on-one communication, in podcasts, the way we understand what we're hearing, what we see is a factor in how we understand what we're reading. But the other part of that equation is being able to decode the words in front of us, understanding that words are made up of of letters, that letters represent sounds and the rules in which they follow. In in this instance, the English language, but this is true for any language, um, plays a factor in how we are able to act and react as readers. And it's a multiplication problem. It's language comprehension times word decoding, because if you don't have one, then you won't be able to hit comprehension. So once you have one, once you have the other, it equals comprehension, but you can't always do one without the other as a reader. Now, that is to say you can be a great listening comprehension person. You can be a great decoder and still not understand what the the words on the page mean, but that's essentially what the science of reading boils down to. Exhibit B would be then Scarborough's reading rope. So Scarborough's reading rope really, truly, play with my metaphor here, unravels what reading takes and means. It takes language comprehension and it breaks it down into the different sections of what language, what goes into our brain and our neural processes as readers to understand language from inferences to vocabulary, to language structure, to how texts work reading. If you're reading a book from left to right, um, if you're reading on social media, understanding that you are scrolling down a page, which way as something would scroll. So That's part of language, all part of language comprehension, and then unraveling word decoding or word uh, recognition and breaking it down into phonological awareness and decoding. When we think about Scarborough's Reading Rope, that is where I start thinking, okay, this is where teacher knowledge has to exist because this is where we take these understandings and then apply them and pull them out of our curriculum. So if I'm handed a curriculum that says today you're doing writing workshop and you're modeling a writing an intro paragraph, what does that actually mean as a reader? Writing is an output of often our reading, but what does that mean as it relates to the science of reading. Okay. Kids are going to need to know how to decode words because after a while, while, our brain does start to memorize these words and you no longer have to decode them. That is to say, so breaking down our lessons into thinking, okay, what do our students have to do as readers? Where can I get some quick wins and where am I really going to have to push today?
1: So I'm trying to, Okay, Stevie, bear with me. So I taught mm-hmm. middle school math, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I taught elementary for like a split second. <laughs> and first of all, I had to look up Scarborough's reading group. Um, but it made me think about like the way that even as an elementary teacher, when I went through training, and I know Taylor will tap in here, but like is a teacher's understanding their, what they have to learn to teach kids Is it more? I don't want to say cumbersome. What's the word I'm looking for? Or has the process truly been simplified? Because when
3: I think about what you did,
1: yeah, like what what from when you started teaching up until now has changed, and like, do you think those changes are for the
3: better? Okay, that's a great question because I will also say, like, as I'm sitting here, like, profite, like my biggest soapbox is like Scarborough's Reading Rope, the science of reading. Everyone needs to know this. I didn't learn about this until two years ago, like this, I've been in education for 10 years. And when I went through the PD that I did to truly understand what it takes to be a reader, I felt, I I like felt so much guilt because I was like, I have been teaching for eight years and I did not understand this about Mm. reading. And I was the reading expert at my school as a teacher, like not even in, as a Dean of literacy. So when I was still in the classroom, folks were still looking to me and coming to observe my classroom. And I'm like, y'all, I'm just teaching the curriculum. I'm not really sure mm-hmm. what I'm doing. I'm just, I got a lot of personality mm-hmm. and I'm teaching yeah. the curriculum. I can do that. I am very good at doing that. And so for, you know, the longest time I was writing, I st- and I still ride the, the wave of like having a lot of enthusiasm. That's what it means to be a good teacher. And it mm-hmm. does. Passion does Matter, but if I could get in a time machine, and somebody could have broken down Scarborough's reading rope for me and truly helped me understand what what each of these strands actually mean, not even look like in the classroom, I could have gotten there. Mm-hmm. But help me understand what each of these mean. I wonder what the impact would have been on the students in front of me. Yeah, I feel a little bit of conflict here because having been a new teacher once, once upon a time, there are so many things that we ask teachers to do. And I don't know if I could have heard the mm, content that yeah. I learned two years ago earlier. I, I, I'm going to say as like a second year teacher, I think as a fifth year teacher, I could have heard it. Um, especially cause in my fifth year, I'm going to be honest, I hit a slump and I was, I felt like I was banging my head against the wall because I didn't know what else to do as a reading teacher. I just kept throwing the curriculum at them. And I was just like, why aren't you getting it? It's yeah. text structures. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't understand where exactly the gaps l- laid mm-hmm. lied laid it for my students. And I I always understood that reading was a complex process, but nobody ever explained how <clears throat> complexity comes into play until I did. Do And honestly, when I say like the PD that I got, I took a college course on foundational reading. So, and it was provided now granted, like we're talking about this Louisiana credit for PD. It was provided by my school. Mm. It required me doing a master's level work outside of the classroom, outside of my job. It was an elective thing um, that I was presented with. We offered it to teachers as well the next year. And it was really hard for some teachers to complete because it required an additional five hours a week of reading of independent modules and then a once monthly PLC that, you know, again, I I found a lot of value from it. But if you're worried about getting your grades in on time, Mm -hmm. on calling you know, parents and, and making sure that you're having connections with our families. If you're worried about internalizing your lesson for the next day, I absolutely could see how this would have was something that was deprioritized because yeah.
0: it was something that took a lot of work. Maybe with the right coaching, right, Taylor, you could get it, you <laughs> can get it through their head.
2: <laughs> well, I was going to say, so Stevie, I taught kindergarten for three years. And so Obviously, almost 100% of my job was to teach 35 year olds how to read and like the very foundational skills of what that meant. Something that my principal prioritized was ensuring that we understood the foundations. And I think that is what trips people up, like teachers, going back to Ashley's point, is teachers are trying to remember how they learned how to read Mm -hmm. when they were in kindergarten first grade and second grade Mm -hmm. and they're like oh we did little phonics books with cvc words and Mm -hmm. we did 30 minutes of reading at home but like they don't remember the small bits and pieces of what their teacher actually did to get them to accomplish those things and so my principal prioritized making sure we understand the proper letter sounds which
0: newsflash
2: they're they're hard and what you think is the letter sound is not it it ain't
3: it there's not 44 or 46 phonemes in the english language depending on who you ask exactly (laughs) and so like even just doing a
2: one-to-one match of a says ah and b does not say book even getting teachers to understand that is very nerve-wracking and it is very stressful and I think that is where the, where it becomes like a lot of unlearning so that mm-hmm. you can learn this new content.
3: And how, how we learned how to read has also now changed mm-hmm. in the eighties and nineties. I don't know if you've heard of, have y'all heard of the reading wars? Yes. So right, the reading wars said whole word learning versus phonics. Yeah. Balanced literacy. Yep. Balanced literacy. I don't remember learning phonemes. I don't. I'm pretty sure that it was whole word reading at my school growing up because I do remember having sight word tests, spelling tests, but never understanding that th actually makes two different sounds. It's the hard and the soft. (laughs) But I learned that as a as a 29 year old, my mind was blown i was like yeah. oh yeah mm-hmm, yep yeah, i will be recording myself wow. even sending them off to someone else so yes. that they can give me feedback on my pronunciation of phonemes yes, yes. No. and my
2: my principal made us watch a youtube video this very creepy youtube video of like it's just this lady saying these saying the letter sounds particularly like just very clear very concise and everyone had to watch it and you had to practice. That was our PD. We watched a video. You practice. If you let you're me wrong, take some notes. <laughs> if you're, I'll find a video and send it to you. And if you're <laughs> wrong, like obviously you gotta correct because this is this is probably gonna tie into how the pandemic has really affected reading. You can't teach phonics with mask on. <gasps> it is impossible because all of it is in like seeing kids' mouth movement, and you can mouth you can. Correct a child and like actually, I before you even say the sound, I know it's going to be wrong because the way your mouth is positioned is already bad.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and wow. so
2: it's it's a lot of it's a lot of stuff that goes into it that I am still learning. I've never heard of Scarborough's reading a rope until right now. So thank you.
3: Welcome to the club. It's
0: a cult. We love it. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's amazing. And yeah, I mean, I I, I love it because I think. Taylor is segueing us into the other thing I was going to ask you um, regarding just the the school disruptions that we've had because of the pandemic, right? We've had to go virtual because of Hurricane Ida. We've had to miss numerous days of school. Some schools in Louisiana still haven't actually gotten back into the classroom. So from what you've seen, given that you've been at your school for, what did you say, eight years, 10 years or eight years, right? Given that you've been at your school for that long, like how have you seen the development of you know, of, of the little ones, you know, the, the, I I know you're working mostly with what K through second or K through fourth, K through Um, four. Yeah. K through fourth. Yeah. How have you seen that development get disrupted with the amount of time that we've had to take off from school?
3: It's a tricky question because I'm like, there is bad and there's some good the bad is, you know, speaking to what Taylor was saying about masks Phonics is so hard to be taught through a computer to have 15, 30, five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven, even nine-year-olds on a computer screen and say, okay, touch the sounds you hear. Sure. You can see them moving their mouths. You can see them touching in their screen. That's all well and good. But like, are you able to actually give error correction feedback? So much of what we have to do as in any skill, in any life. Um, a school psychologist, this is the MTSS and me coming out saying, will say that a kid will not master a school, a skill until they've had 20 hours of practice on that remote skill. Wow. So if a student is showing gaps in phonological awareness, there will not be any improvement. And that's not true. There will we will not see the improvement that we need to see with direct systematic instruction, unless there have been 20 hours of practice. So again, that's great. If you have a hour long phonics block and you're doing phonological awareness practice for an hour every single day for 20 days we're going to see huge growth but if you think about it phonological awareness is usually a 5 10 15 minute practice within that hour long block so we will not see growth I keep missing that we will see growth time after time with more practice but we will not see the growth we need to be able to move to an evaluation or or really assess if a student is responding to an intervention without 20 hours of practice. Um, And that's a considerable amount of time when we think about it from a school year point of view. So when we think about that school year and how we have lost a month of learning for some folks, two months of learning, maybe it's going to be a little more just due to Ida. That makes my heart kind of stop and, and stand still. And when I think about, uh, teaching specifically in this year, last year was a really tough year and different schools did different things. I can talk to my experience where we started virtual, we moved to in-person, but we had a virtual option. Um, and then we went back to virtual and then we went back to a hybrid option. And so there's some kids who I saw for the first time in a year and a half walk in our door in, in August. And I know everyone's experience last year was pretty touch and go and can vary um, from school by school. And this year, this summer, my biggest hesitation as a leader was going into the year thinking, so are we going to do what we did last year and plan for a regular year? Are we planning for both? What are we doing here? And we planned for a regular year. Our doors opened and we were quarantining classes left and right yet again. And August was probably the hardest month of my life. Um, It really made me reconsider if education was where, you know, we were talking about the teacher shortage, that great resignation. I got real, real close. If it wasn't for the amazing team that I'm a part of, I know that I am with the right people. I know I'm in the right role, but it was a real tough August trying to do what we were doing, running a normal school year quote unquote, Mm -hmm. and, and dealing with a huge spike with the Delta variant and seeing the spike with kids Mm -hmm. and that being scary and having parents be scared and not being able to give them many reassurances aside of we're doing the best we can, (laughs) which often isn't enough. It, It isn't for a parent. And I understand that, but I will say Ida allowed us this is where like the silver lining linings come in. Ida allowed us to take a a breath and take a a beat and say, August didn't work. September is now off the table. How are we gonna do it better in October? Again, I'll speak to my experience. So at our school, we have spent the past year and a half truly thinking about the gaps that our students are exhibiting. And I also want to like give a little caveat here and say like gaps compared to who, right? Nationally, we are in this place where the whole country, the whole world mm-hmm. had to reevaluate how we're learning. And so while our students are still developing readers, our students are, are developing readers through primary school. In fourth grade, we are seeing that we need a little more work with foundational skills in reading. And we've put in place, structures that we need in order to address those gaps. So we came back from Ida and we said, okay, do we know the profile of every student as a reader? Do we know how their strengths and weaknesses in decoding? Do we know their strengths and weaknesses in phonological awareness? Do we know their strengths and weaknesses with sight recognition? Do we know, do we have an idea of what language comprehension looks like? for them. When I tell you that our poor students were doing batteries of tests from August until last week. Now, when I say batteries of tests, each of these assessments took less than a minute or took a minute or less. Um, and each student took anywhere from two to five, depending on the age, depending on the grade level. And we really, really tried to isolate the skills within word recognition, within decoding, within phonological awareness, within sight recognition. So that now we as teachers have a pretty close to accurate picture of where our students' strengths and weaknesses lie as readers. What that means now is we spent the past month getting a, a new phonics curriculum off the ground in second through fourth grade. In, in our pre-K through second grade classrooms, they're still rocking and rolling with the same foundational skills curriculum that they, that we've had for years, that for years has worked, that for years that is research-based, that is systematic, that provides direct instruction. But we didn't have that in second through fourth grade. We had an intervention curriculum for phonics, but that's what it was—was was intervention. It was, re- it is research-based. It was research-based. I still love this curriculum that we said goodbye to. I still think when implemented correctly, correctly, it's a really, really great curriculum. But what it didn't have was direct instruction, and what we realized we we needed in second through fourth grade is direct instruction. Because the reality is, they missed it because the pandemic, because of Ida, because of a variety of factors, we didn't have it, and now we need it. So now. Our priority this year has been direct, systematic, research-based phonics instruction for all of our students in second through fourth grade. Whether it's a strength for, your, for you or a weakness, you're going to get it. Different kids are getting different things, again, according to their learner profile. But what I'm very excited about is that already now that all of our data is in and all of our data has been rolled up, this curriculum that... I'll uh, it's called SIPs. It stands for systematic instruction and phonological awareness and phonics. Um, SIPs is closing, is like providing the instruction that kids need. I like, oh, get so excited about it. We are seeing, so we started this curriculum two years ago. We piloted it with like a few small groups. Last year, we rolled it out as an intervention curriculum. This year, we rolled it out as a tier one curriculum. Because if I go back on my MTSS horse, MTSS, multi-tiered support, student support, tier one is what 80% of students need. It doesn't matter whether it's an an intervention in one place or another. It's what 80% of our students need. 15 to, I think it's 10 to 15% in tier two, five to three percent. In tier three, those are just get a little more specialized each rung up the ladder. If all of our kids need it, we have to be doing it. So that's what's happening. And because we've now switched to doing this, we are seeing that throughout the KIPP New Orleans region, we have a third of our students who are still developing as readers. That's compared to 50% of students who are still developing as readers at uh, other KIPP schools. So it is like very, very exciting to say, systematic direct instruction mm-hmm. works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. We need to keep doing it. And that's not to say that it's not happening at other schools. That is, I also have to put my little asterisk there. It is not to say it's not happening at other schools, but it is to say that like we did this big experiment. This is an experiment we started two and a half years ago. And we are starting to see, like, I'm very excited to see that it is paying off for us and that it's paying off for our readers. So bless because
2: I often get frustrated at some of the reading curricula that I come across because I'm just like, what even is this? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of the curricula is like, oh, if I read you or read aloud and ask you questions, then osmosis is going to happen. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. And you are going to learn how to read by watching me do it. And this is not to say that read alouds are not important because they are. There's a place for them. Mm -hmm. They're, They're the place for them. They model fluency for kids. They allow kids to learn like how to be expressive in their reading and all of this other stuff. And you can't learn phonemes or phonological awareness or whatever the case may be by watching somebody else do it. And so that is what really irks me. And I really hope that some of, many of the schools like reevaluate their reading curriculum because I'm just like, this is not working. And not only is it not working, like your teachers are frustrated because Mm -hmm, they don't know how mm -hmm. to use it. And so it's in two part not working because it's just not effective. And it's not working because your teachers don't know how to use it appropriately. Mm -hmm.
3: There was a lot of change management that I was nervous about this year. Teachers have not felt successful with phonics because it was a curriculum that wasn't necessarily explicit in what was being taught. Again, I think it's a great curriculum, our curriculum that we used to use. I think it's great if you understand what you're doing. So this is where I also go back and forth too, because I think nationally we have a teacher knowledge gap. And so as the Dean of Literacy, this is what I'm constantly thinking of is like, I can give you the tools But if I don't give you the knowledge and the understanding, or if you, you do not have that knowledge, it doesn't even have to be, it's not me giving it to you. If you do not have access to, um, an opportunity to build your own knowledge, we are going to be stuck spinning our wheels with this new curriculum once again. So I, while I get very excited about SIPs, I have to also put my little asterisk there and say, it's great. And we have to continue to think about how teachers are able to develop their own knowledge.
1: Well, there was a couple things, but I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent. But number one, shout out to your school for basing the change and what kids needed in the choice in your curriculum in research. Like when you were like research-based, I was like, oh, oh, I love it. Um, and then I think what this conversation also brought up for me was um, there was a meme that I saw social media, you know, all these memes, but it was like one that was specific to schools, and it was kind of shared in August. Um, and I think we, we may have talked about it either off air or on air, but that how basically kids who are in let's say third grade are technically in first grade, or they're if they're in eighth grade, they're technically in sixth grade, and so I think when I because. I immediately uh, revert my brain to math. I was a math teacher, so I think about that. But then when I think about the basis of what you actually need to be successful in, let's say, third grade and beyond, if you don't have the basics of reading, you are going to struggle. And I even know adults to this day that can read a page. You know what the words are. You're able to recognize them. But it's the comprehension and being able to reflect, internalize, be able to answer specific questions like they're just skills that I think even adults, when we think back to what how we learned how to read, still have gaps in. So I think that just all brought that
0: up for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. A beautiful thing. Well, as we wrap this up, Stevie, I wanted to know if there are some resources that you would recommend for content teachers to look into to improve or to insert literacy slash reading strategies to to help our students become better readers and writers
3: so i am a big component i love ashley your math brain because i'm like and mathletes are readers too and scientists are yes. readers too. you're a reader and you're a reader <laughs> and you know what we do as as teachers doesn't just mean that we have to be explicitly teaching mm-hmm. we do need explicit instruction and we also need to be thinking about employing reading routines in every aspect of our mm-hmm. block at whatever grade we're in fluency is the bridge that that connects Uh, word recognition and language comprehension. It is what allows fluent, fluent reading allows us to make meaning of words. And then fluent reading also allows us to break down words that we're not able to understand. Mm. So it's this two-way bridge. So fluent reading is my number one, easy to go, easy to use reading skill that I always tell teachers, no matter your grade level, no matter your age, Well, this is actually a little, again, little caveat. This is going to be for our kids, probably in first and higher, because if we're in K, we're still probably still working on a few sounds and letter and, um, word reading, but that's okay. Word reading fluency still matters too. set a timer for a minute, two minutes. As you're do now, kids come in, they open up their social studies packet. They have their first document of the day, allow them to whisper, read it to themselves. Make them take their reading from out of their brains and put it into words in their mouths. Mm. Have them open up their math packet and find the first word problem and whisper, read it to their partner. Any opportunity you can find to allow students to have a moment of reading out loud to themselves or to a partner is an amazing opportunity. That's always my quick and dirty. Yeah. Mm. If as a teacher, you're like, oh, okay, yes, Now, give me more. There are so many resources that do exist. I always like to start with Amplify. I think Amplify's reading is often bite-sized and transferable. They have everything from activities that you could be doing in the classroom to activities that you could be doing in the car, activities that you can be doing at a bathroom break. My favorite go-to is a phonological awareness activity. I'm taking a class of kids to the bathroom. I have them, I give them a word and then they have to manipulate the word either with subtraction or deletion of a phoneme or manipulate the phoneme. So an example would be, all right, be my students for me when I snap you're gonna mm-hmm. give me my word say the word ball ball, ball. ball. drop the b- what's left all there you go so that's a fun that's a uh, phonological awareness activity you're standing in the bathroom line you're giving them words to play around with um, amplify has lots of resources like that. They also have great resources for parents. There's one that's a grocery store game where you go around and you have the student or the kid pick out anything that starts with the sh- sound. And so they have to point out things. The, the caveat is that we are moving away so, from like, Words that start with a ch and give them the phoneme. I see Taylor shaking her head, the kindergarten mm. teacher knows.
1: <laughs> mm.
3: <laughs> right, this is stressful. I'm stressed. Phonemes are the sounds that we hear in words. So that's what we want to be manipulating as readers. Um, and then finally, like I this is where I, you know, stay in school kids. I am in my tenth year as an as an educator, and I just finished my master's degree. I learned so much. Yeah, congratulations! <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> um, I I again, if I could get in a time machine and do it all again, I wish I'd gotten my master's a little sooner. Because the things that I was able to unpack, it was, it was taking this course through my school, taking a a college level course through my school as a professional development opportunity that made me go, I love learning. Let's keep going. Mm -hmm. Let's Mm -hmm. keep going. So I'm really enjoying that. And, you know, excited to say that after my wedding in December, I am embarking on getting my doctorate. So, you know, keep on keeping on. If this is like what gets you jazzed, keep doing it. It's worth it. There's so much time. To learn. There's so much for us to, to work on together because we really are just doing it in service of making the little readers in front of us better.
0: Yeah, that is what's up. Well, Stevie, thank you so much for sharing uh, all of your knowledge and wisdom on this. I'd say lastly, uh, if let's say someone wants to ask you a little more about the, uh, the work that you do or like, hey, so Amplify tried it you know, want some additional recommendations? Like, is there somewhere where they can contact you or see you? Anything you want to plug in there?
3: Yes. So you can find me on all socials at Stevie Jasuda. Um, J A S U T A. Um, You can also email me um, at S A J S U T A at gmail.com. I truly love, I'm telling you, this is it's literally my job, and I have the best job in the world that I get to do this and talk about reading and work with readers and teachers who want to work with readers. So I love, love, love hearing from folks. Um, so please, please come my way, hop in my DM, shoot me an email. Um, <laughs> forgive me if I don't respond to you in December. Like I said, I'm getting married. Oh, congrats! <laughs> but the last name won't be changing until I do get that doctorate because Dr. Hey. Kellison, my fiance said is a real flex for him. So <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's great. That's fantastic. Uh, wow. Well, it was an absolute pleasure to have you uh, on on our podcast and also if anybody listening wants to contact us we are also at entangled at teachforamerica.com. sorry dot org right ashley
1: yes yeah I
0: y'all know. always point to me like right ashley is this right
1: <laughs> you be knowing
3: let's, it's let's not see right. if i get it's like the, your official <laughs> sign off
0: <laughs> i know and let's see if i get the instagram handled right we are at entangled underscore podcast on instagram Lamps,
1: right snaps
0: thank you very much Um, So with that being said, we are very excited to share this episode with everybody. Stevie, thank you so much again. And uh, we'll be talking with you again soon.
3: Thanks, y'all. I really appreciate you having me. Thank Thank you, Stevie.